Hey, it's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Pete and I have talked about this for a while, and uh, the closer it got, the more I was excited about the chance to, to be with you. And, and uh, when I was able to figure out a way to have uh, my son and daughter join us, our daughter hopefully will be able to join us. Uh, tonight, our, our grandson is uh, in, actually going to the doctor right now with a temperature of 103. And uh, so we're just kind of, you know, praying that, that God will surprise us and give him a chance to come up here. So, uh, uh, but, uh, so I have that context. Yes, I taught at Bethel Seminary, I taught at Luther Seminary, I head up an organization, um, yeah, I speak once in a while. But you know what, um, in my, if you were to ask me to describe myself, I would say I'm a youth worker at heart. I've been around teenagers all of my adult life. I started in youth ministry when I was in college and I've always been in that world. And so um, uh, that, that has shaped me. And then uh, now I'm getting married and having kids and now having grandkids. So um, I've been doing this a long time. And so I'm thinking about some qualities that takes to hang alongside of the next generation, whatever our role is, grandparents or parents, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, members of a church, um, whatever it takes. Uh, what is it that God would say are some of the qualities that we need to work on. So I have been doing this a long time. I think it's said in the description, I had a marker last year, 60, 40, 25, 25 years of youth leadership, 40 years in youth ministry, and uh, 60 years old. But when I started, man, I was young, cool, and relevant. Uh, <laughs> so I, brought, I always bring pictures to, to show. They find the cool youth director in that picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're talking the 70s, baby. Um, yeah, um, yeah, in case you can't find me, I'm right there. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, I was, uh, I just hung around, I got this job because it was better than being a janitor. And my friend said, we'd like to work at the drop-in center. I was like, well, what do you do? He said, you get to play pool, ping pong, and foosball. I'm like, those are my only spiritual gifts. Are you kidding me? I'm a 19-year-old boy. You take pool, ping pong, and foosball, or toilets, offices, wastebaskets. Um, it's not a hard decision, is it? I didn't even have to pray about it. Uh, but little did I know that that would totally change my life. That one job hanging around those kids totally changed my life. Um, and uh, I could stay up all night long. Um, this is at the morning after the lock-in. I used to love lock-ins. Now I think they're from the devil. But um, at the time, I thought they were awesome. Stay up all night long. Um, hey, I'm still having fun. And by the way, youth ministry is great for me because I got to meet great kids, but I also uh, got to meet that girl. How could you not fall in love with a woman with a cup on her head? Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of cool. Uh, and then I built a typical leadership team uh, back in the day. <laughs> uh, you know, normal, fun, extroverted. Well, they looked normal. I looked like I was selling drugs to kids, but... <laughs> I, was, I ran a drop in center and I had to hang with kids, so that's the way it worked. But a question started to occur in those days, a very simple question that has shaped my life as a person, as a leader, as a youth worker, um, as a parent, and as a grandparent. It's a very simple question. Will our children have faith? Will the next generation come to know a truth that will set them free? Or are we just doing religious stuff that will not impact or shape them? That question has driven a lot of what I think about and wonder about. Um, uh, then all of a sudden the context changed from that to that. Now I have this mess. Um, I want to introduce you to my family. Uh, by the way, the woman with a cup on her head is my wife, Sue. Uh, she's here. And we've been married this fall. We've been married 39 years. So 
one of those questions, what was the greatest accomplishment? And I said, help me, you know, still being married after 39 years. Um, and so here's my family. I want to introduce them. Um, the, we'll start with my youngest. Uh, this is Brianna. Uh, Brie is the uh, adopted from Korea, and she is the drama queen of the world. Everything is dramatic. Eating breakfast is, I mean, it's, it's just, it's either the greatest or the worst. Um, relationships, as an adolescent girl, oh my gosh, it was a roller coaster. It was either the best or the worst. It was just all over the map, you know. Um, and so we just kind of had to, you know, have signals, run for your life, you know. <laughs> um, and then uh, that's a former boyfriend, so we're gonna uh, Photoshop him out. Um, <laughs> So that, that's Bree. And then my middle daughter, Mandy, uh, this is Mandy. Uh, Mandy, take the emotional spectrum from drama up and down, woo, everything's expressive and talks. Mandy is almost compulsive organized. She, you know, everything's in their, their place, has a plan for everything and is in charge of everything. Um, controls, you know, just, um, so you swing that pendulum, it's all, you know, it's like, uh, she got married to Jeremy back there a few years ago. I handed the baton off to him and said, good luck with that, pal. <laughs> and they're doing great. Uh, hopefully they will be able to join us. Um, uh, they have Rowan and we'll introduce Rowan in a minute. So that's the middle child, drama. Come on. And then this is my oldest son, Ryan, and he's here. Uh, thank you, that's right. Um, yeah. Um, Ryan, let's just say Ryan was, uh, as a teenage boy, fairly monosyllabic. The, the kid didn't form a complete sentence until he got to college, you know? He did, talking to him was a grunt, shrug, I don't know, food. You know, pretty much that was kind of how we related. Um, but now as a dad, I hear nouns and verbs in the same sentence and I cry. It's so emotional for me, so that's really kind of fun. And so Ryan uh, uh, got married to Laura and she's here as well. Laura, raise your hand. That's all right. And that's great. Um, we, we really like Laura. Uh, when they were dating, uh, my parenting advice to Ryan was, don't blow this. You're dating, you're dating way over your head. Um, and so they have Ella and Kaylee. You'll see them in a minute. They're downstairs. Uh, two of the cutest grandkids in the world, of course. And let's see, uh, my oldest daughter right here uh, is Sharon. Sharon is, what, 43? 45? Some of you have been paying attention. I've been married how long? 39. You do the math. Um, Sharon is not a biological child. Sharon is a foster daughter. I was a youth pastor and uh, met her in high, when she was in high school and uh, felt for the first time in all the years of ministry that I uh, felt that God telling me that it's time to bring this one to the home and talked to Sue and she felt the same thing. So Sharon uh, came to live with us. And uh, she lived with us, uh, finished her high school year and through college and is our oldest daughter in our family system. So Ryan went from an oldest child and then at seven, he became the second child. Uh, so how do you describe it? She's your oldest sister, but... Yeah, he's the firstborn, but not the oldest child in our family. And people just go, hello? <laughs> So that's Sharon, she got married to Dean, and she has these uh, great kids here, and then she has a teenage daughter. Where's the teenage daughter? Oh, wait a minute, way over there. <laughs> that's kind of what happens in family systems, you know? <laughs> but I do have uh, great grandkids. This is a new chapter for me. I know, that's the appropriate response. Thank you, the cutest kid, that's Ella. Um, and then this is Ella and Kaylee getting ready for Halloween a year or so ago. 
<laughs> you try doing that for the rest of the talk. <laughs> and then this is my three of them together. And uh, we're hoping Rowan can join us if, depending on what the doctor says. So that's my context. I am not an expert on parenting, folks. Um, when I'm in Ohio, I can pretend I am, but my kids are with me, I can't. They know that this has had its ups and downs. They know mistakes that I've made. Um, and so we're gonna talk about parenting in a realistic context. Um, but it's, uh, it's great to be here and think, by the way, my family's getting uh, mean to me because they're telling me I'm getting old. This is what they gave me for Christmas <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> and by the way, it's great remotes. Um, let me suggest that a weekend like this or a week like this is something like a train crossing. Train crossings are places, you know, that you just don't think about, right? But this is what I would, why I would suggest it's important. Um, I did a lot of things in youth ministry, service projects, uh, mission projects. And one was a trip from Duluth, Minnesota, where I was youth pastor, to um, Ohio. And we went through Chicago, spent a couple of days in Chicago. Um, and I learned a lot about the you know, how God works on the mission trip. But this one I, is a lesson I learned. They do train crossings very differently in Chicago than we do in Minnesota. I grew up here. Minnesota, we're pretty Scandinavian roots, safety conscious, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt, right? So we have the two lights on the post, the four on the arms, ding, ding, dings, go off like five minutes before the train comes because we don't want, yeah, sure, nobody gets squished by the train there. So we're very careful. And ding, 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 the arm comes down, we stop, we put our car in park, we drink our coffee, we wait for the train to slowly go through the intersection because we don't want anybody to get hurt in Minnesota. In Chicago, they're in a hurry. They don't do it like that. I mean, I'm in a 15-passenger van with 15 kids in it with a U-Haul trailer behind us, and I'm pull up to the first railroad tracks, and all of a sudden I hear ding, 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 wow, wow. This train goes flying through at about 55 miles an hour. I'm thinking, holy mackerel, somebody's gonna get squished. I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to wave at the person in the caboose. You did, couldn't even see if a person was in the caboose, man. <laughs> you just flew through there. I'm thinking, somebody could get hurt here. Little I know, the next intersection, 15 kids, 15 passenger van, red you all trailer behind us, and I'm uh, not paying attention, traffic jam, I'm on the railroad tracks, stopped, waiting, and all of a sudden I hear ding, 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 and the arm comes down between the van and the trailer, trapping us on the railroad tracks. 15 kids all look to our right and we see the headlight of the train bearing down on us. Now I love being with teenagers, they are, they're, they're my favorite, I love them. But in a, in a crisis, they melt down faster than anything on the planet. <laughs> They became screaming monosyllabic monkeys, just, ah, we're going to die, blood, guts. I mean, they were just going crazy. Um, so I had to make a decision. I'm in charge. I'm the youth pastor. So I floored it. I busted that sucker right off. <laughs> Took off. The mood in the van went from sheer terror to like we had won the Super Bowl. <laughs> tiger, tiger. It was a love fest in there, man. I tell youth ministry people, that's a great group building activity, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about building small group cohesiveness, man, we were together. Um, and then I take off, and then I melt down. I'm in charge. You know, you've ever done this when you're in charge? You all of a sudden, going through your head, you're like, I just busted that. I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get arrested. And I'm thinking I'm going to get put in jail. Like, the cops have nothing else to do in Chicago. No robberies or murders are going to get those people, break those intersections. Well, in my head, that's what was happening. I, and all of a sudden, I melted down, and I'm going to ditch the cops. I'm picturing them after me because I figured that would ruin the mission trip. How's the mission trip? Well, Tiger's still in jail, but other than that, we're, things are going pretty good. 
So I freak out and I start yelling at the kids in the van. I know you've never done this as a parent, but yelling at kids in the van, get down, get down. And they're like, what, shut up, get down. And I turn on the side streets, like I'm gonna ditch the cops because I didn't want to get arrested, man. And the kids are like, take a picture, man, post this. And uh, after about five minutes, uh, Troy in the back goes, hey, Tiger, could we go back for that as a memento of the trip? I'm like, that'd be awesome. So we went back for it. <laughs> uh, and uh, so anyway, here's the point of the story. This is how, why the weekend's like this. I think this is, because uh, before, the, before uh, I snapped this thing off, we were trapped, I, and the train was bearing down on us, I wanted to turn to the kids in the van and say, so, anybody have any spiritual questions you'd like cleared up? <laughs> anybody want to know more about Jesus right about now? Because it's a... That train's coming pretty fast. You know, I would hope that you and I could get some things figured out in our lives before that time. Because at that point, um, it's a good time to get your spiritual life figured out. But it'd be great to get it figured out in the midst. Are you busy? Are you stressed? Things overwhelming? Any spiritual questions you'd like cleared up? I think this is partly um, a chance for us to just think about that before the train hits us. And so that's what I'm wondering about. What would that look like? And what would be some things that we could think about? So I want to look at a biblical text to think with you about what it means to be a person that's trying to ask that question. Will our children have faith? And do I have any spiritual questions I'd like cleared up? Um, it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, and we're going to look at a few verses and I will read through and stop along the way if you brought a Bible. Uh, great. If not, you can follow along. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 3. And here's what Paul writes to his friends. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as people approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Great phrase. I'd encourage you to underline it. Entrusted with the gospel. Adults, we've been entrusted with the gospel. And, it's, and our job is to pass that on to the next generation whatever role that is. He says, we've been entrusted with the gospel. That's a great phrase. I love that one. Um, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. We are not looking for praise from people. Guess what? Sometimes our kids don't like us. Don't they? And that, that was a shock to me. Uh, I thought my kids would always like me. And then one day, you know, I can't remember, I think it was Bree, of course, I said, I don't like you. Just one walked in the room, I don't like you. Oh, okay, well, I don't like you either. I'm, I'm pretty mature that way. Um, <laughs> but the thing about us as adults, the first equality I would say is uh, that it begins with focus. Verse six, you notice what he says? Uh, we were not looking for praise, even though we could have asserted authority. We... He says we, we didn't get caught up into trying to please people. We didn't use flattery. We weren't just there to do the function. In other words, Paul's saying, we weren't here just to get you to like us or to do a, a function. We were here for another purpose, and that takes focus. Am I the only one that gets distracted? Because <laughs> if I am, I'll just keep going to therapy. But I know a lot of us well-intentioned people who love our kids or love our grandkids get distracted by all kinds of stuff. Paul's just starting here by saying, maybe we just need to be focused. Um, remember why you're there. 
is the question I ask. Why are we here? Why, as a parent, um, I, I encourage people who are volunteering to ask that in the parking lot before they run into the building to do whatever they're supposed to do. Why am I here? Is it just to fill out the worksheet and do the stuff? Am I here just to do a function? I encourage us to think about it in the garage when you pull in from work. Put the, ask the question, why am I here? Because if you don't ask that question, you'll be like me. We'll get in and we'll just start doing stuff. I mean, stuff will happen. You know, get stuff ready, do the deal, you know, get the, the garbage out, whatever it is, and we'll kind of forget. And it's not that all those things are bad. It's just that sometimes if I'm not focused, I forget why am I really here? What's the, really, what's the point God is trying to teach me? What's he trying to call me to be? Um, and we get distracted. Um, maybe in the bed in the morning before you put your foot on the, in the floor to, to get up and start doing whatever it is you're supposed to do. Ask, why am I here today? God, show me one good reason today what I'm supposed to do. Um, you and I need little ways to be focused. Otherwise, we can stay, get distracted all the time. Happens to me in ministry all the time. This is a youth ministry issue, but it's sometimes maybe be like families as well. Uh, this is a little video. Ooh. First cat herder in our family. Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half wild short hairs. Well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning right here. And if you look at his face, <laughs> it's just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you, you hear the stories, it's, I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. It ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and you ain't lost a one of them, ain't a feeling like it in the world. <laughs> and parenting. It's sometimes like herding cats, isn't it? And therefore, Paul says, maybe we just start with focus. What is it we're really here for? The second thing is it's a spirit of gentleness. Verse 7, he says, instead of, instead of doing the apostle thing, he said, we could have been doing, hey, we're apostles, we're parents, we're in charge. Listen, you have to listen to us. He said, we could have played that card, but instead we're going to up, but the Bible does this all the time. It always takes power and inverts it. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Um, not to be a ruler, but to be a servant. The first shall be last. Does it all the time. Here it is again. We could have done the apostles, I'm in charge, you got to listen to me. Instead, try something else. Let's be gentle. Let's turn that upside down and use gentleness. Instead, we were like uh, young children among you, like a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. I just find that very interesting. You can be firm and still gentle. What I think this is about, it's an attitude. Um, and and I, let's be honest, there are times when I didn't treat my kids with gentleness, where I, I, I was harsh, where I was, it wasn't about the conclusion I made, it's the method I used, the style that, that was the apostle style, not the gentle style. And I can picture those and regret many of those because it's easy to get caught up in that. Because kids will come to us and want to talk when we're least ready, right? When we're most tired, you know, they're, they're, and all of a sudden they slow down. You have to find the rhythms of your kids. Um, by the way, if it's a boy, uh, learn to talk shoulder to shoulder while you're doing something else rather than face to face. Gentleness is recognizing the differences in your kids and working with those differences. 
Uh, not saying, you need to listen to me because this is my agenda and I'm ready to talk, so therefore you're ready to talk. And it doesn't work, does it? We try it, but it doesn't work. Um, gentleness is this different attitude. I say it to volunteers this way, and I think it works for parents. Something we can do that will surprise our kids is if we just look them in the eye as if we really notice them and show interest in their world. When I, when I go to restaurants and stuff, or when I'm out and I see parents doing that one simple thing, something inside me goes, we're on the right track. I don't know what you do the rest of the time, but you're on the right track. When I see a parent look their kid in the eye and, and they just have a two-minute conversation, there's questions being asked. It's, I know we're busy and we get distracted, but can we find some moments where we look them in the eyes if they really matter? and show interest in the world. It doesn't take a lot of skill, but it does take focus to find those gentleness moments. Again, it means you're still in charge, <laughs> but in, in youth ministry, I say it's the difference between being a chaperone and a leader. Uh, a chaperone is the person who's there for one reason, and unfortunately, parents, sometimes we get into this role. Uh, one role, which is to catch bad behavior and stop it, right? Which is why when you went to the dance in middle school, did you hang around the teacher chaperones positioned appropriately down the hallway? Probably not, unless you're a total dork. Um, because you know that they're, they're there for a reason, to catch bad behavior and stop it, unless that teacher has done the unique shift, which is they understand their role as a leader, which is to show interest in your world, pay attention. And by the way, chaperone bad behavior. <laughs> if you're a parent, you will have to chaperone bad behavior. Is that your primary job though? We have to wonder about that, and I think this is an issue of gentleness. Um, and then the third thing that comes up in this text is it's about the gospel and relationships. He says, I love verse eight. We cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. And I think it's about this idea of, he said, we had a job to do. We were there to teach, preach, proclaim. But let's do more than that. You have a job, a functional job, a part of your job description at work, uh, in your family, in your neighborhood. There's functions that we all have to do. But he's saying it's not just that. It's the gospel. It's the teaching. It's the controlling behavior. It's making sure they get dressed and put their clothes on right side out and all that kind of stuff. That's part of our job. But he's saying it's also this relationship thing. And we'll talk about this later. We'll come back to this when it comes to setting family goals. But it's about relationships. The gospel and relationships. It's both and. Uh, because this is, not a, this is not a ministry idea. It's not a parenting idea. It's a God idea. 1 John 4, 9 and 19. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. That God is that initiating loving God. And that is sometimes hard work as parents, isn't it? Because we're tired but we're going after our kids with this relationship, this desire to do the function, but to do the relationship. And in youth ministry, it shows up in all kinds of different ways. Um, I love middle school kids. I, they always intrigue me. I have this picture, it's not about parenting, but uh, you might be parenting this kid. This might be your kid someday. Uh, by the way, let me just do this, I forgot to do this. How many of you are parenting uh, zero to four-year-olds right now in your home? Uh, how many are uh, Four to 10. How many? 10 to 17. God bless you right there. Okay, how many? 17 uh, on up. Okay, we have all the mix. Um, how many of you can't remember? Uh, well, okay. This, if you're middle school or middle school's coming, this might be your child 
And that's just why uh, I love middle school kids. This, <laughs> I love this kid. Okay, just pay attention to this picture here. It's really important. This is a kid during science class, probably, or geography. The teacher was lecturing, and he, and he, he was doing this. I bet my head would fit through that hole. <laughs> Not anywhere near geography, right? And you just know that all, what, what it took was the kid next to him went, do it. <laughs> sure. And he stuck his head through the back of the chair while the teacher, well-educated, shaping the next generation, turns around and goes, I hate my job. <laughs> you know, and there you get, they take this kid down. I love this. There are now four full-time professionals working with this kid, um, sawing the chair off his head. And I love that they gave him a sucker. <laughs> this is the greatest morning for this kid. This is like, uh, this is why I love middle school <laughs> ministry. Um, or this, this is, uh, this is from America's Funny Videos. Um, you have to listen to the words of the pastor at the end. He said, this is, I've been a pastor for 25 years. This is the first time this has ever happened, and I guarantee you it will be the last. This is for those of you who have baptism by immersion. Uh, probably didn't happen last time in your... In your people have no choice but to forgive him. Who says you can't laugh in church? <laughs> Okay, picture you being the parent of this next child. Ready? You're the mom, you're the dad. Ready? See, kid, go through these stages where you're the front, you're the parent, ready with your camera, going, I, uh, that's not my kid. I, I've never seen him before in my life. But our job is to come alongside of that and love them and build and do the task and the relationship. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. In youth ministry, I um, do a lot of different things. In my church, I want to be uh, that that guy in in my church that notices the next generation. One day, Luke, uh, he was eight, eight years old at the time, said, hey, do you want to come to my birthday party? I'm like, sure, I got no social life. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and I thought he was kidding. And then I got Spider-Man in the, in the mail. Swing by and celebrate. And I opened it up, and uh, there it is, the date. Uh, but I was speaking at a weekend like this, and I couldn't come. So I checked with his parents, and I said, Luke, I can't come to your party, but can I come next Thursday? And um, I'll bring you a present, and maybe we'll go out to McDonald's or something. How's that sound? He goes, that sounds great. 
You know, eight-year-olds still excited. Um, so I came on Thursday, he met me at the door, he's all excited, showed me all the presents from his party. I gave him a present, he opened it up, put it on his dresser, and then he said, can we go now? We started to leave, and then his mom, Katie, stopped me in the kitchen and said, you might want to hear what I heard today. I said, what's that? She said, Luke was out in the backyard playing with his friend, and his friend said, what are you doing later, Luke? And Luke said, yeah, well, I have a big friend. He's coming over. <laughs> He's got a car. We're going to go do something. Because <laughs> when you're eight years old, having a car is pretty cool. Even if it's a 97 Blazer, it does not matter. And I got stopped right there in the kitchen like God tapped me on the shoulder. And said, Tiger, don't get, don't get distracted. Uh, don't go into the, get a big head. Don't start thinking you're an expert. Don't start believing your press releases. Don't start believing your introductions. Uh, just remember, you were designed to be a big friend to Luke and the Lukes of the world. That's it. Go do it. And we need that kind of reminders, don't we? As parents, as people in the church, that our job is to, to hang with them because every kid, every child you work with needs to have three needs met. They need to know they're loved. If they don't get that need met in healthy ways, primarily in the family and then through other healthy relationships, um, they will pursue this in ways that will be destructive to them because they don't have filters. So they need to know their love. That's our primary job, that they are loved unconditionally. We'll talk about that in terms of family goals, that they're valuable, that they have value, that they're uniquely different, that they're created by God to be something uh, that, that is way bigger than soccer. There's something about their inherent worth, and we'll talk about that in terms of um, parenting and goals as well. And lastly, that they're not alone, that they're loved, they're valuable, and they're not alone. That they're going to live through life and people are going to mess with them. People are going to love them. Parents, grandparents. The greater, we'll talk about this in terms of a formula to try to help you think about this as parents, that you don't do this alone. Um, love, value, but not alone. Uh, I, I watched the show Parenthood. I've been t- everybody's like, I've got to watch the show Parenthood. I know we've been watching it. Uh, pay attention to this as the adoption of the, the, the boy and pay attention to the message of loved, valuable, not alone in this little clip. Yes, yes, come on in. Braverman. Great. All right, yes, I This is Salsa, he's a lizard. This will take a while. That's right. a good idea. Just, uh... Okay, all right, come on in. Come in, please, come in. Okay, close the door. Okay, everyone, please, hello, everyone, please. All right, welcome. Thank you. All right, uh, so Joel and Julia Graham. Yes. Yeah, hi. So now you understand that by signing this adoption agreement form, you agree to uh, take care of Victor as your own legal child, right, to provide for his health, his welfare, his educational needs? We do. Yes, Your Honor. Victor, do you understand? Do you agree to this adoption? Yeah. Okay, then. (laughs) All right, well, then, unless anyone has anything to add, I'm ready to make it official. Your Honor, if I may. As grandparents, my wife Camille and myself will do the best we can to uh, to give Victor what we've given our own children, which is our undying love and support. And also, being a baseball aficionado, uh, I would like to teach him the art of fielding the hot grounder. <laughs> okay. But hey, that can wait till later. Uh, Your Honor, I'm sorry. If I may, I'm Adam Braverman. I'm Deacon Camille's oldest son, and I promise to be your uncle. Listen, your your aunt Christine and I are no substitute for your stellar parents, but we promise to be there for you no matter what. You can always come to me, Victor, if you need 
help, and I promise I won't rat you out to your mom. I can give you dating advice. Oh, and then I can help repair the terrible damage that her what dating is this? advice what? does. Okay. I'm, I, I'm willing to teach you how to ride a motorcycle and play an instrument. Oh, your girl troubles will vanish immediately <laughs> once you know those two things. Yeah. And you can come to my house anytime. We can play Xbox, and you can sleep over and stuff. Now that you're adopted, you can officially hold my lizards. Okay. <laughs> I promise to love you, buddy. Yeah. No matter what. Me too. Okay. It's quite a family you're coming into. All right, on this day, January 24, 2013, Joel and Julia Graham have officially adopted Victor Graham. You're now legally their child. You have all the rights of any natural child. Okay. I will hereby sign this order confirming the adoption. All right. Love, valuable, not alone. Every kid needs to hear that over and over and over again in verbal, nonverbal ways from parents' voices, from other people's voices, from non-related members' voices, from the church, uh, from uh, coaches, from that it's a huge uh, need. Um, so uh, let's go to number four quick. Uh, it's hard work. I love that the Bible doesn't have to pretend. Uh, parenting is really hard work, isn't it? Emotional hard, and, and every chapter is different hard. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk uh, again. But it is hard work, and we need to keep reminding each other that. Why? That's why you can't do this by yourself. Um, but it says right there in verse 9, you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order to not be a burden to you. Night and day, right? Parenting, night and day. and So... Um, it's just there. And then in verse 10, it says some pure motives, just making sure that we're doing this for the right reasons. I know we all start out everything with good intentions. You are a witness to so would God, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. That's why I need the church to keep speaking into me, helping me become the person God wants me to be. It's about me and God. And, and that's about motives. That's about checking things, make sure we're doing the right things for the right reasons. I define a leader as this. I work with leaders all my life. I've been working with leaders. Very simple definition. A leader is a, the right kind of person doing the right kind of stuff for the right reasons. At that moment, the kid, it can be four, and if they're doing the right kind of thing for the right reasons, they're, they're, they lead the group. Um, so it's pure motives, and lastly, it models a parent's love. Earlier, he talked about a mother's love. Here, it's father's love. Let's combine it. Um, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, and then there's three great words I want to close with. Great words that call us to something. And here they are. The first word here says encouraging. Encouraging. That's very different than just controlling behavior or sin management. It's encouraging. It's speaking to the needs to be loved, valuable, not alone. Um, encouragement is a huge gift for most kids. And as they get older, uh, I just will tell you, if you're parenting into the 10 to 17-year-old, you have to be more conscious about your encouragement because it gets harder sometimes because there's layers of other stuff that start to come to the surface that create discouragement in us sometimes. Not for every kid, but, it, but periods. Um, when I think of encouragement, I wanna tell you one last story, um, and, and my kids will recognize this. Um, I think of the word, two words, it's called Paul Lake. Paul Lake is a little resort that I used to go to when I was a kid. My parents were friends of the people who owned the resort in Purim, Minnesota, so not far from here. And, um, 
I went all the time, and then I, and when I became, got married, uh, Sue and I went and liked it, and then we brought our kids there for years. We would go to Paul Lake for uh, our vacation, one or two weeks. It became a special place for us. And when we left, Josephine Olson ran the resort, and Josephine Olson's um, rule was when a family left the camp, we had to all wave goodbye, everybody in the camp. So you know, you remember what you were, Joe would make you stand in the back and wave goodbye to the people from Illinois. And, and the, the road, dirt road went out like this and went across, you'd have to wave. And it would go up over the hill and she'd make you wave all the time. And the, it, 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 they'd disappear over the hill and you know, and you're like seven going, okay, we're done. No, you had to keep waving until the second hill. And then they could just barely see the van and then, then they'd go over the hill and then it was all done and you could go back to what you're doing. That was kind of this, we call it the Paul Lake wave. Well, then I saw it from the inside of the van when I was a parent. I thought I only saw it from the outside. I saw it from the inside when my kids loved the way goodbye because they would see 25 people waving goodbye. And of course, they all thought they were waving at them, you know. And so they just had this great, it, it was so exciting. And they're all waving. They're, and the kids would be waving out the little minivan window that you know, flipped open. And they'd wave all the time. And we'd let them wave, go over the hill. And they loved when they went over the hill because they were disappeared, but they knew. 25 people are still waving. And when we came over the hill, it was like, wow, I can see them. And then we go over the last hill and then we put the seatbelts on and we'd go home and it would be boring. But the Paul, we still joke about in our family, the Paul Lake wave, which is an obnoxious wave until you get totally out of sight. So sometimes we'll do Paul Lake wave. And when they were teenagers, they didn't like it at all. Paul Lake wave, no, get in the house, shut up. Paul Lake wave, <laughs> waving through the window, I don't care. But encouragement is when you just know people are waving at you. Even if you're out of sight, people need that encouragement. Second is comforting. Hurting people around us, they need encouragement, they need comfort. Our kids sometimes just need comfort. And not comfort because you get it, you understand it, or you can even relate to it. Because, you know, when you're a parent, we put our parent hat on and a kid tells us something that happened at school and we're like, right away we want to solve it, minimize it, control it, explain it, instead of just comfort it. So I said, oh, I'm just so sorry. Tell me, you just comfort it. And then lastly, urge you to live life worthy of the God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. That our job is to think big, to dream our kids, set goals, and we'll talk about that, to live life worthy, to dream that they could be something in the hands of God that, that only God could do. But that's what it means to be a, a parent's love. Um, because of time, I want to just quickly look at these. Maybe I'll re refer them uh, uh, again uh, later. Um, I have this philosophy about leadership and parenting, folks. Something is better than nothing. Don't you sometimes feel like you're just not doing enough and you're a total failure? Um, just work on the something because something is better than nothing. Redefine what success is. And if success is a kid doesn't cannonball into the baptismal, that parent's lost it. But if, the kid, if something else is the definition of success, figure what that is. And that's why we're going to talk about setting goals. Goals that are about real success, not about the external definition of success and getting Division I scholarship. Uh, that may not be success at all. Uh, and lastly, always believe in the significance of the insignificant. This, is, this has carried me in ministry. It's carried me as a parent. Trust the fact that you might do mostly insignificant things. But it it can pile up. And tell the Mother's Day real quick. Did you bring the box? 
I know, but I know, but you did bring it up here. Sue has a box um, that Mother's Day from four years ago. It's a little box, a little box that Mandy, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about Mandy later, uh, gave her a few years ago with uh, 84 little things about thank you for. And the list is, it's just so amazing. The list is such small things. Can you remember a couple of them? Yeah, getting to know and loving my friends, accepting my boyfriends. That was hard. Um, <laughs> thanks for, uh, yeah, letting her paint her room. You know, stuff like that, little things. Talking to Sue just the other day um, with our friends, she said what was so powerful about that Mother's Day is when Mother's Day comes for her, she often thinks of the regrets, thinks of the things that she wished she would have done differently. And on Mother's Day, it brings that up. And then on Mother's Day, our child that was difficult at times brings this little box with mostly, almost all of the 80-some things are insignificant. So keep doing the insignificant because you never know what that one thing is that kid says because it speaks that insignificant action. Letting them paint a little space in an attic said something about love valuable, not alone to my daughter. We didn't know it. Um, but those are the things that, that become a storehouse for us. I hope this is a great week. I'm going to hang around, um, you know, uh, with my kids, hopefully, and my grandkids. But let's just enjoy, listen, wonder what it is in small ways, even these next few days, that God might be teaching us or wanting us to do together as parents, as grandparents, as friends, members of the church. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you for the challenge in front of us as parents and grandparents and friends and family. Give us these days to listen to you. If we have any spiritual questions, that we'd pay attention to those. And thank you for opportunities like this to get away from the normal and hear you again. And we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for your attention.